Welcome to Plant Stories. The modern, the old, and the crazy in between. Myth or fact? Orchids have a soft, sweet, elegant scent like jasmine and vanilla. Myth! In fact, some orchids smell like rotting flesh in order to attract their pollinators, and they're highly successful. Today's episode is about orchids. (laughs) They've existed for over 200 million years, evolving with dinosaurs and mountains. Sure, yeah, that sounds true. It is. That one's a fact. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, orchids are this crazy plant um, that has just a very interesting reputation among people. I mean, there's the idea that they're hard to grow and that, um, you know, they're difficult for, especially for sign plant owners. But also, they are... A plant that is well known for being an elegant plant, mm-hmm. well known for being a very like refined, expensive-looking plant. People love that like simple, one or two-line kind of modern art almost that orchid stems with the blossoms on them create. Um, so it's very interesting to kind of see that and now kind of know so much more about them and that's what this episode is about today so where are orchids with us now kind of like you said they have this reputation of being difficult to grow they've become much more accessible but even then they still take a super long time to get to a stage of blooming more recently there are a lot of orchid growers who are able to use cloning essentially to clone orchids from other orchid tissues. Um, And it allows them to very rapidly create a large population of orchids from even just like one or two small orchids, which has allowed the business itself to really boom. Um, one, One of the most popular orchids that you'll see, like the regular orchid that you get at the grocery store, um, is the Phalaenopsis or the moth orchid. Uh, and was one of the first, you know, even way back was one of the first orchids that really kind of wowed people. It comes in a lot of different colors. It it um, is one of the easier ones to grow. Um, it's a little more tropical based. Uh, and so those took really well to that particular process or a couple others like cymbidiums and things like that that are maybe easier to propagate, but can take a little longer to actually grow. So what do you mean by propagate? Propagating in this sense is really just being able to reproduce another orchid. Orchids now are almost entirely clones of other orchids from tissue samples. Um, And this also allows for growers to kind of get the same quality of orchids over and over again because genetically they can change 
you know, from orchid to orchid, but in this way, they're exact clones. So if they want 200 white Phalaenopsis orchids, that's not, you know, even a little bit of an issue for them. They can just... Nice. Um, and like I said, there are a couple different kinds of orchids that can be propagated this way. Um, or, like, do well being propagated that way. Um, Phalaenopsis orchids took to it the best and are kind of the most popular. They're the easiest to ship. Um, but there are tons and tons of varieties of orchids, and those are kind of just the most popular ones that do the best as houseplants. Yeah. I think I saw over, like, 100,000 species of orchids. Yeah, there are a lot. Because um, orchids grow on pretty much every continent except Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Every place has kind of their own version of the orchids. Orchids have adapted to a variety of different environments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're very interesting plants that way. Yeah, they've had hundreds of millions of years to create like incredibly specific relationships with like one pollinator for one species of orchid. Like without that insect, that species of orchid is done. Which is like extreme evolution. <laughs> I don't think there's any other kind of family of a living organism that has that intensity of like dependent relationships that they've just like found the perfect pollinator and found exactly what they wanted. Well, plants are pretty crazy that way. They do kind of tend to find that little thing, but that's that was also important when they first started trying to kind of uh, reproduce orchids in mass, is that they were finding that they couldn't reproduce an orchid from a seed or from um, even a propagator sometimes. And they finally figured out when they put two orchids next to each other, like a fully grown orchid and a smaller orchid, that that's when the smaller orchid was thriving. And that's when they were able to discover the relationship that orchid plants actually have with fungus because they realized that that fungus produces nutrients like a mama bird gives to baby bird. Like it takes certain things from, you know, whatever medium soil it's in, chews it up and spits it out as nutrients uh, for these plants. And so once they figured that out, they were able to grow more orchids separately from each other, but it wasn't quite fast enough. And that's when uh, kind of the cloning also came into being because propagation from the actual orchid plant can take years, depending on the type of orchid exactly. Um, And, you know, collecting orchids, especially exotic varieties of orchids, has been popular for a very long time. So let's go back to the very beginning. The beginning of the relationship of orchids with humans. So step one, naming them. (laughs) Yeah, so orchids um, were basically named from the Greek word orchis morio. That's what they called orchids. Um, That's because the word orchis means testicle, which they kind of saw. The suedo bulb as a testicle, they were considered aphrodisiac 
plants. Um, people ate the flowers, either larger or smaller flowers, to try and like predict the outcome of the birth of their children, like what gender they would be. Um, I think it was like bigger blossoms were boys and smaller blossoms were girls or something like that. Um, and they often like ate the roots or like mm. drank tea made with the roots because that was kind of what they felt would help give them that. Yeah, this looks like testicles. That they needed. This will help. Yeah, this looks like <laughs> testicles. This must be what I'm. What I need. Yeah, that's definitely it. And so. There's even, like, a a Greek myth describing how the orchid came to be, claiming that Orcus, which is funny that that's his name because it means testicle. Mm -hmm. Um, Good name, yeah. uh, It's like uh, Richard is named Dick. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, He was the son of a nymph, and he came upon a festival of uh, Dionysus, Bacchus. Eh, I hope I'm saying that right, but I'm horrible at pronouncing Greek names, so... Um, and he came upon this festival, and he drank too much, and he tried to r- rape a priestess. Common Greek story. Yeah, and then uh, for his insult, he was basically torn apart by those people. Oh, good. When his father asked for him to be restored, uh, the gods just changed him into a flower. They're like, technically... He's alive. He's there, yeah. <laughs> technically he's there, but like not really there, you know? Oh, okay. So, orchids remained popular throughout Roman times, but when Christianity took over... The flower was kind of believed to have a very sexual nature. (laughs) For sure. So It's named Textical. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, yeah. So from that, they kind of fell out of favor Mm -hmm. as flowering plants. It actually took a pretty long time for them to come back into popularity, but kind of like we had discussed before in the history of houseplants... When people started bringing things back from other countries in their exploration, um, that's when things got kind of crazy with orchids. Called orchid delirium is what this time period is. And it was kind of a defining uh, time for orchid houseplants in that era. So basically this guy, his name is William John Swainson. Good name. Yeah. Solid, solid name. He was a British naturalist, and he basically accidentally brought the plants back from Brazil. So he went to Brazil, and he collected all these specimens, and he was like, you know, these plants are totally unimportant. They were um, Caletta orchids. And so he used them and their roots as stuffing. For other plants that he deemed important to take back with him. So that he could just like... He, so he stuffed a bunch of them into crevices to protect his other plants. Put them on a boat. By the time he got back to England... Mm-hmm. They were in full bloom. Oh. And so everyone was like, oh my god, what is this plant? It's so beautiful. I've never seen anything like it. They came in, they are very bright, showy orchids. So they came in these beautiful colors. And at first, people just wanted to see them. But then people wanted to own them. Yeah. Very quickly, it turned into 
a rat race to find, like, the craziest, most beautiful, most unique orchid that you could possibly find. So people sent out orchid hunters. That was, like, these people's whole job was to go to the, like, craziest, most exotic places and go into the woods and find orchids. And it's crazy to even think that that was an endeavor because most of those orchids would die in the conditions that it would take to bring them back. Only like, I think, I think I wrote it down as like 2%, but yeah, not, most of them did not make it back. 2%. It was very low, the amount. Surprisingly, shockingly low. Uh, Which makes sense. Because you're ripping these plants from their natural habitats, probably putting them underneath like a boat deck. Yeah, in a bag, maybe. Yeah, so eventually the the people who were orchid hunters did actually learn some orchid care to get themselves higher returns. Mm -hmm. But especially initially when they didn't know anything about the plant, if you brought one back successfully, that was pretty incredible. (laughs) Um. And there are a ton of stories about people who went out into the wilderness and didn't come back or got shot or stabbed or whatever. I mean, orchid hunters were literally warring against each other. So there's a story of a group of eight men who went orchid hunting in 1901 and they went to the Philippines in search of orchids was eaten by a tiger. Nice. The second was doused in oil and burnt to death by locals. Nice. Uh, five others were just never seen again. But one man came out with a bunch of the Phenolopsis moth orchid hmm. and made his fortune. <laughs> so, just that one guy. Yeah. I mean, that's such a distance and so many violent losses to get our very common houseplant. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's like, even if the actual warring didn't kill you, half the time people died of diseases like dysentery or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that that killed them anyway. So the good thing about this is that those specimens did really contribute to botany and the interest in plants. Mm-hmm. Eventually, greenhouses and access to knowledge about the orchid let the plant become more easily propagated and that is what kind of, of stopped the orchid delirium its but, relationship with the the fungus yeah but during that time period there were a lot of orchid species especially ones closer to home in England where this craze was like really setting off that became extinct and It's funny because even today, there is an orchid in England that is manned 24-7 by a police officer because it was found by a group of botanists who were like, oh my god, thank god, like, this is like the one specimen of the species of orchid that we know that's still here. And they kept its location a secret until someone found out about it. And ripped it out of the ground and tried to run away with it. Oh, no. But then 
they were able to find it, even though they didn't technically find the person who stole it. The person basically dumped the orchid. And it was still alive enough that they were able to replant it. But after that, it had to be under constant surveillance. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're very they're a very interesting plant. And there are a lot of kind of plants like this. And really, the plant that... One of the plants, at least, that we use the most. I mean, the household orchid now, like, outsells poinsettias even, which Mm. are one of the more popular house plants. Um, But also, they get sold a lot because they get kind of, like, dumped and replaced. Uh, But now, like, with orchids being sold all year, oftentimes people throw out ones that they don't want and buy a new one. So they're actually one of the plants that we spend the most of and between the actual orchid plants themselves and the importation and uh, of vanilla, orchids are kind of one of the biggest. Right. We haven't even talked about vanilla. Oh, my gosh. What a great gift of orchids. Yeah, vanilla is um, basically an orchid variety that grows in kind of like Mesoamerica that line of the equator mm-hmm. um, most of our vanilla that we use comes from Madagascar although mm-hmm. it is an, a plant that's originally native uh, to Mexico oh interesting that's quite a jump yeah I think from what I could tell it does it's not necessarily that it moved. It, it's just that I think it wasn't originally harvested in Madagascar until vanilla started becoming a more popular product. But when it was being discovered as a commercial product, it was discovered in Mexico. Um, it was one of the things that uh, was enjoyed by the Teton... Or the, I always say this wrong. Toanak Indians <laughs> uh, and the Aztecs and then Spaniards brought them back to Spain um, and for a long time it was actually only seen as an additive to chocolate hmm. um, to make it like have a richer fuller taste and Queen Elizabeth I is credited with being one of the first people to popularize vanilla as a flavor on its own. And Um, now the number one. (laughs) Yeah, it's the second most expensive spice in the world after saffron. Oh, yeah. And it's partially because it's just incredibly hard to harvest. It's got a really short window where you can take the fruits. You have to take them kind of right before they ripen. Um, And, you know, it's just the pod or bean of that plant and not all orchids produce pods. Or beans. Pretty much this specific variety is the only one that does that. Um, and this orchid also kind of grows like a vine. So it grows on trees up to like, you know, it can be like 30 feet long. There are these big things. And then, so you have to, so harvesting them is not necessarily as easy as just like, you know, sticking up some poles and having a bunch of vines grow on them. Right. It They have... You know, they have relationships with other plants and they have to, you know, be pollinated and blah, 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 blah. 
yeah, so there's a lot going on for orchids, but we love it. We love orchid, or we love this particular orchid a lot. And, uh, you know, like I said, we do get most of our um, vanilla from Madagascar now. There's some that we get from Mexico, and there's also Tahitian vanilla are kind of the main areas where that's grown and harvested. It really can't be grown and harvested anywhere else because the conditions are so specific. Um, and that's also why we've developed now synthetic vanilla. So, right. you know, synthetic vanilla was, there's a couple of specific compounds in vanilla itself that are easily replicated, but not quite the same. Mm-hmm. So but to keep up with demands, I'm glad there's another option. <laughs> it's true because I like the taste of vanilla. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan, fan of this plant, but <laughs> it's pretty expensive. It's like twenty dollars to just buy the vanilla bean pods. Worth it, yeah. If you have a really good recipe, but sad mm-hmm. if you do not. <laughs> For me, the most fascinating thing learning about orchids was how they can do all sorts of different kinds of mimicry to attract their pollinators. So, like, some of them will evolve to be in the shape of a specific female insect so that they attract males who will come and try to mate with them. And in the process, they get pollen all over them in the the perfect spot so that when they see another flower that looks like a female, and they're like, oh, maybe this one. Then they pollinate that flower and they still don't get what they want. (laughs) Or some of them will look like uh, competitor insects. And so they'll like fly at them to go attack them. And then they'll get pollen like on their, you know, a specific spot. And then they'll see another one and they'll do the same thing. (laughs) Uh, Or I mentioned earlier that some of them will smell like rotting flesh to attract certain flies or beetles. And the design of where they attach pollen to the insect has become so specific that uh, for example a bee could fly into like four different kinds of orchids but each orchid uh, matches to like a specific part of their body so like they could have pollen from one orchid on like their left arm another one on their head another one on their butt and so then when they I know that's not proper bug terms but you get it And we don't use proper terms <laughs> in this podcast. Uh, so when they fly into another flower, there's no issue of them like cross-pollinating it because they'll hit it in the exact same spot, which I think is amazing. I saw a lot of cute pictures of bees covered in pollen. <laughs> yeah. The mini tip for today is stop overwatering your orchid orchids for the most part out in nature and especially your phalaenopsis orchid if that's what you have at home grow on trees so their roots i mean they're important but primarily they attach to the outsides of trees and then they take water from the humidity in the air and from the runoff on the tree. So oftentimes when you get an orchid 
from the grocery store or a florist, you'll notice that the orchid itself is in a very loose, either moss or kind of like potting medium that isn't quite soil. Mm -hmm. And that's because it needs to have as much drainage as possible. So even if you don't have a drainage hole at the bottom, especially if you don't have the drainage hole at the bottom of the container that you have your orchid in, you just need to be careful that you're not overwatering it. Oftentimes, once every week to two weeks is plenty and a small amount. Ice cubes, that trick that people use, is way more about the amount of water than necessarily the heat or cold of the water. Hmm. So, don't overwater your orchid. It will die. Pretty much immediately, honestly. What are we doing for our next episode? Bromeliads. What was that? Bromeliads. 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 They're an ancient plant. No, they're fun. There's some interesting ones. What's a bromeliad for someone who just heard the word? Uh, It is a tropical and subtropical plant. Uh, Primarily in the southern half of the United States. And also in... Central America, a little bit into South America. Um, And they are, well, there's a lot of different types, and we'll talk about that next time. I look forward to seeing how much I know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for joining us for this episode. Uh, We look forward for you joining us on our Bromeliads episode. Thank you, and this has been Plant Stories.